broadcasting live via ThinkTech Hawaii Studios in downtown Honolulu. Welcome to Top of the Line. I'm your host, Ben Lau. Aloha and thank you for tuning in. My guest today is my guest from our last episode, Bruce Crumley. As I covered more extensively before, Bruce has had a career spanning decades as a writer and journalist. He has written and covered the news for a number of leading publications. And he's a renowned expert on the subject of terrorism, European politics, and society. We pick up where we left off with Bruce the last time, who joins us once again from France. Aloha, Bruce. Aloha, Ben. Bonsoir à tout le monde. Bonsoir. Bruce, let's dive right back in. Let's pick up where we left off on the question I asked you relating to the changes in the journalism profession and the media space. Doing some research for this, Harvard Business Review published last year an essay entitled, Journalism's Market Failure is a Crisis for Democracy. The stuff I've read, it's a sorry state of affairs, Bruce. Yours is a dying profession, probably something you know. Literally, journalists are being killed off around the world. According to Statistica, 62 were killed in 2020 alone. 53 the year before that, and in previous years, 87, 74, 81, 114, 110, 143, 147. They're not just getting killed off, their jobs are too. One quarter of all US newspapers died in the past 15 years, according to UNC Chapel Hill. 1,800 communities in the United States that had local news outlets in 2004 we're with zero this year, zero. You're familiar with the term news deserts. We have them growing here in the States. Newspaper newsroom employment in the US has fallen 57% since 2008 to 2020. That's a loss of 40,000 jobs. There have been some gains certainly in digital media, but net net there's still 30,000 job losses overall. Since we last talked, however, there's been some positive news, some good news for journalists, at least two of them. On December 10th, uh, we had the uh, news of two journalists, a Filipina and a Russian, who have been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The chairman of the Nobel said something very nice about your profession and about these recipients. Quote, they are representatives of all journalists who stand up for the idea Democracy and freedom of the press face increasingly adverse conditions. In a war where the written word is their weapon, where truth is their goal, and every exposure of misuse of power is victory. As relates to just those two Nobel laureates, one lost six colleagues who worked for him, he's their editor. And as to the other, 89 have been killed in her country alone, the Philippines. She faces prison time and charges and plenty more. And hundreds of journalists, in addition to the ones who've been killed, are prisoners behind bars in countries around the world. Bruce, over your career, journalism and news coverage went from being seen by many, if not most people, as a safeguard of sorts, part of the solution to a lot of the problems. And today, these are, by contrast, considered a big chunk of the problem and considered by people on both sides, opposite sides of social and political debate. How did reporters go from the heroes of Bernstein and Woodward, of 
you know, Pentagon Papers, the story that gave rise to the film Spotlight, to becoming everyone's favorite scapegoat for pretty much everything. Well, it's obviously a complex question, but I, th I think one thing, directing, is proximity. Um, the internet has made the world a much smaller place. And as a result, the distance that is perceived, um, and sometimes even real, between the reader or the consumer of news and the person writing it or, or producing it has gotten a lot shorter. And because of that, there's a, there's a feeling that, that, that um, the professional gap there has narrowed also, and and the upshot is, I think, on the on the on the on the public side, there's a view that well, I can read news, I can I can I can post reactions to news, I can write my own blog, I can post on readers' comments, I can do other things, and so therefore I I can I can speak with the same kind of authority in the same forum, sometimes even on the same media platform, as this journalist with with whom I usually don't dis with I don't agree, otherwise I would bother me writing my 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 retort what i um so i think that's part of it the other part of it i think is that 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 the the news media itself has undergone something that um that i think has accelerated the the divisions within the u.s society and that's the um i think you once called it the uh market segment segment segmentation and, and a lot of journalists called the silo effect where you know um um rupert murdoch and roger ailes targeted a demographic that they could see out there identify out there that they wanted to communicate a certain kind of news to um and that they wouldn't be receptive receptive to a say a cnn or a new york times audience so that's who they broadcast to it the new york times broadcasts to to their audience in cnn blah 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 and in the end you have these mutually exclusive polls of of of, of information um where consumers are not only not taking other polls seriously, but actually looking at them with the same disregard and and even with with a, a lot of of, of dislike. Um, so there's all that. But on the other side, the, the media has also sold its its credibility down the river. Um, frankly, it, it it was one of the most vision free. Um, management leaderships um, on the history of Earth, um, and they met the, uh, by and large, leaders of media, traditional media, um, met the internet challenge um, by basically doing nothing, and then once realizing that, that it was too late to do anything and they'd been all swamped, they essentially put their head in the noose and, and tried to sell papers by hanging themselves. Um, you're referring to the vision-free people as the hardcore journalists that just caught unawares by the internet. Is that who you're referring? No, to? this is the manager, the management, the, the the publishers, the the manager, the editors in chief of publications who who by and large first saw the internet come up and said, "Well, this could be interesting for for selling things," and then they said, "Oh, maybe it'd be good for us to 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 to." I don't know, get more advertising sideline to our, our print business. And then once they saw the blogs come in, they basically thought, well, these people are just a bunch of bozos with, you know, they're basically morons with, with digital, um, you know, traffic cones that they're, that they're shouting through to nobody out in the ether. And it turned out the blogs did quite well. And they did quite well using the reports that traditional media was putting out there free. So traditional media, rather than trying to rise that challenge, did the stupid thing and said, oh, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to flood them with what they don't have. Original reporting, we're going to open up our websites, make it all free and have everybody who's reading blogs come to us. Well, that didn't happen. And once you had let the, the you know, the, the racehorses out of the barn, people weren't going to come back and start paying for them anymore. And as a result, you had 
advertising in uh, print uh, editions uh, uh, go go fall 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 you know a lot because nobody was reading uh, them anymore, and you didn't have that migrating to online. And when it did, it didn't pay anywhere near as much as as as, as hard copy um, publications. So basically, I'll end on this note. Credible media, legacy media got itself in a, into an existential problem on the one hand because they did not rise to the changes that, that digital uh, presented, and then they found no way to um, to to meet the, the financial losses of of of, of uh, first of all of classified ad loss, which was a huge part of their revenue, and also to advertising. Let's put a little bit more um, flesh on the bones of what you're saying because uh, viewers may not follow. The references, I think I am. You did mention the internet, and I think technology overall, not just the internet, has, as it always has, um, had a major um, play in what we read, uh, where we read it, when we read it, right. uh, and then what's in that that we read. I mean, for everything from you know uh, the movable type printing press and the steam engine, which first gave it to us. The telegraph, the typewriter, telephone, teletype, as you've told me in some of your stories, you regaled me. And then the threat of radio, and then the ensuing threat of television, if you call it threat, the, the technological introductions and what the news had to do, the people who, who print the news, who fund the printing of the news. And then we have uh, more recent technology, the digitalization, the cable TV. I want you to talk about that, what cable TV and satellites uh, did to your business. I'll do this really fast. Obviously, we have to do everything kind of broad strokes. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as my 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 um, my career is concerned, one of the big changes started in 1974 with the with the uh, advent of People magazine, which a lot in the in the traditional media looked at as this kind of really bad taste innovation by Time Life, uh, the Time Life you know uh, public publications, to create this kind of really trashy looking into other people's business um surrender to the kind of national inquire kind of mentality and it turned out the magazine was the most profitable magazine the most successful magazine i think in the history of publications and as a result everybody who had been naysaying it before got in on it and created their own you know people pages and started doing celebrity news and what have you and that's just blossomed off and 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 and, and created far more content that's that's fluffier that's about that's personality driven it's about the rich and famous it's about and it's led us to the era of the kardashians who were basically people where with zero substance but 100 um, um uh, visibility that was one change a qualitative that kind of started corrupting away from the hard news content the second thing was um uh, i think with a big turning point was the first gulf war um you said you talked about satellites cnn found itself during the at the launch of the first uh, gulf war as the only network in iraq capable of beaming images of real life combat real life bombs real life people dying Two homes around the world, and you had this one guy, Peter Arnett, out there with his microphone, who was the only person capable of giving the world this thing that was going on, this death, and 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 massacre, and and, and warfare, live. You know, so if you're sitting in Peoria or you're sitting in 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 you know in Bakersfield, you're watching this, you're going, "Whoa, this is! I can't believe it. I have to wait for the eight o'clock news, and it's not recorded. It's coming at me live." That changed the world forever because, on the first hand, 
television news became not about informing yourself. It became a kind of sort of vicarious um, involvement in something that was going on elsewhere live. And often that was not so much to, again, to educate yourself. It was as entertainment. And that followed on from the Iraq War to the OJ trial. Um, it later on followed through to the the the, the riots in 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 LA, um, and it also you know I saw it happen here in in, in France in two thousand five when the suburban housing pro projects you know blew up all around the country, and you had suddenly these news crews coming from all over the world who'd never been to a suburban suburban housing project in France ever, and were all grouped there with their you know with these live photos of, of cars burning what have you. That also changed massively the way. Um, TV news worked, and because of that, that changed the way that everybody else had to work. Because if you're a magazine like Time that I worked for most of my career, you could not make a living telling people about last week's news. They know right today's news right now, and they're calling their neighbor up and say, "Did you see that? I did. You should be watching the same thing I am." That's kind of a part of the big part of what became news. Knowing first, you know, um, CNN's line still is, you know, be, be the first to know. Um, and that really is what it's about. It's about a lot of it is, again, celebrity news, personality driven news. Look at the anchors on CNN. Look at the anchors on, on Fox News. And these are these are bad personalities more than there are ideologies. Ideologies are there. But but and then then also the, the content that's just um, gotten cheaper over time. And I think that is also um, weakened the reputation of the profession. Uh, I, I want to I picked up on a few things you said, and I'm not going to be able to be sure that I can thread it through to a coherent question. So bear with me. You mentioned that the people, when blogs came about, that there were those higher up who kind of made derogatory comments, denigrating comments about it. You mentioned that the, the Kardashians came on TV and you know there's uh, a lot of reports about how all of reality TV, for the most part, spiraled out of one family, the Kardashian family, and have their tentacles- Which filed out of the OJ trial. Which filed out of the OJ trial, which you mentioned, which became entertainment. Um, but you also talked about, you know, kind of like you made a you made a, a subjective comment that you know the Kardashians, whatever that is, they have visibility. Clearly, they have more than visibility. It, not, they have appeal. Uh, not to me, maybe not to you, maybe for more females, but it's not something that I understand or get. But they draw a lot of eyeballs, and they're able to do things with those eyeballs and that energy and those pocketbooks. Um, it seems to me that we're also talking about CNN, and it was noteworthy that a lot of the major networks, when CNN came on and Ted Turner announced that he wanted to do this 24-7 network, everybody thought he was nuts. And when he went out and bought a satellite before anyone had one, in preparation that he did not know, could not know about the Iraq war, um, the Iraq invasion, that he was sitting pretty, but everybody thought he was sitting pretty stupid. And I, I thought it was hilarious that they, the networks called him the chicken noodle network. They, that's what they thought CNN should stand for. It's always been derogatory. And now we talk about, uh, you're talking about uh, some of these things with what happened in France um, and elsewhere with the handheld uh, mobile phone. You know, Apple right. only introduced the iPhone in 2007, and there were uh, mobile phones before that, but they really shot off after that, smartphones, right. with everybody entering it. And it's almost too easy to throw negative comments or derogatory thoughts at these people who are using the technology in a way that, who knows who envisioned it, but they're using it in creative ways, and they're making you know, large fortunes for themselves and large 
names for themselves, becoming influencers and all this other stuff. Well, who's to make light of that? It may not be news in a hardcore sort of a way, but they are entertaining others and they're making more money than a lot of these uh, news network uh, folks, you know, in the editorial uh, positions, not the owners, but so there, there's, there's, a, there's a common thread with technology disruption and adaptation, but what's happened to the, to the news itself? It's, it's always a challenge, but the, the, how do you, and, and there's a lot of things to thread as I'm trying to thread that story together to make some of these comments about what you're saying. Uh, I think I think there's a difference here, though. Is is what you're saying is is, is correct? And again, um, I'm not saying Peter Arnett and Ted Turner and CNN is responsible for everything that's gone wrong. Or and People Magazine has got is 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 directly responsible for the Kardashians and 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 and, and what have you. And in the in the the dominance of, of of reality TV, which is an oxymoron. There's nothing less real, less con more contrived than reality TV. But the 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 point. So I'm not trying to blame them. They innovated, and. The public reacted that the way it did, and you cannot say you know the public is wrong for doing that because the public reacts the way it chooses to, and that's always been the way it is. Um, and in the, the big difference in in news is, and I would never compare a reporter to somebody who has a, a, a you know jobs that are that are vital to forming lives and, and and minds the way teachers do, but in a certain way, media has been a little bit like the educational profession in that you sometimes have to teach things and, and instruct things and talk about subject matter that the kids don't want to hear about because it bores them, it's not fun, et cetera, et cetera. But you need to do because it's good for them. They need to know it in order to be well-informed and to, and, to, and to be able to prepare for, um, to, to interact with the world better. And to a large degree, uh, up until I would say about the early 1990s or maybe the mid-80s, mid, mid, mid 80s, um, the journalism business was that way also. There was a, a, a implicit message, mission that, that um, there is something educational in this. This is not just going out and doing a job and writing your story and getting out of getting out of, out of dodge. You were perform, performing a, a a kind of public pu public service. That's a big term, or educational. That also is is rather haughty. But there's something there to it, and that really doesn't exist anymore at all. Not even close. No. And and I don't think the public wants to do. Getting back to what you said, I think one of the reasons people have gotten really soured on journalism because there's a feeling like, who are these people telling us what to think? And how that became to be perceived that way, I don't know. Matt Taibbi, who is a great, you know, former Rolling Stone writer who now writes for his own stories on on on. Um, uh, I'm blanking out. Uh, sorry. Um, he anyway. Um, I'll keep come back to me. But he um, he. Um, writes frequently now about the way journalists just don't get how the public reads them very well and why they basically either hate them or, or ridicule them. Well, you know, Substack, I, I, sorry. You know some of it, Bruce, is not, uh, we, I started this off and maybe I'm to blame by framing it as about journalists. And when I listen to you, um, some of those criticisms or some of the tomatoes, for lack of a better word, that get thrown at, 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 at journalists. Bullets, too. I mean, the people are going to schools and shooting their classmates and their teachers. But something that you said about, you know, journalism, hard news reporting has been about education, echoes with what I hear from friends who are teachers. Um, a friend of mine just wrote an, uh, a, an essay that I got to get to when I have some free time about education, but they complain that students don't come to learn. They don't want to learn. 
and their parents are not necessarily the disciplinarians that support the learning process. They bring their iPhones or the equivalents thereof to class. They're distracted by, I don't know if it's the Kardashians or they, they may not even be timely anymore. I, I don't keep up with that stuff. But whoever the equivalents, the modern day equivalents today are, um, maybe they're watching that instead of paying attention to it. Uh, what's going on on the chalkboard? Of course, we're in COVID, so there are less chalkboards or there are hybrid chalkboards. But the point is that, you know, it's evident in the math scores and the placement and the uh, global uh, competitions for math Olympiads and things like that, that, you know, there's a little bit of a decline in the uh, scholastic or scholarly performance of our young. And on the other hand, there's also this trend, and this again, this doesn't just happen to journalists. I mean, talk to doctors today. I mean, you know, doctors will tell you that when patients come in, they've read Wikipedia, they 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 think they know what what's ailing them. And when the doctor says no, it's actually just you know take a few aspirin and, and actually lose some weight and, and, and get a better diet. They'll say no, 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 that's not what it is. I've, I've read about this, you know, and and doctors getting pushed pushed back. And you know, these are doctors. I mean, you know, this Marcus Welby. This is you know, you, you don't you don't tell Marcus Welby what to do. That's going to date me a little bit but you know the, the point is you know er you know you, you don't you don't tell the uh the doctors from er uh what, what to think you know they, they're, they're the experts and, and it's going all around so i think this is something that you know it, as we said before the digital revolution has has changed a lot of things it's changed people it's made public it's changed professions and i think it's it's, it's particularly been um, transformative of, of, of journalism and in ways that you know some people love and you know let's be honest the journalism has never been Perfect. And I remember, as I told you one time, in the 19, late 1990s, early 2000s, I used to joke with um, with my colleagues in the, the London editorial office, you know, when, when we'd get some, see some of these fluffy articles come by, you know, I'd, I'd tell them, you know, I'm going to play the lottery. And when I win, I'm going to use the, the winnings, uh, the money to, 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 to launch a news magazine. It's going to be a pure news magazine, no movie re re reviews, no celebrity stuff, just news, news, news. And I'm going to call it spinach. And the subtitle is going to be you won't like this, but it's good for you. You know, um, some of what you say may, may, you know, it seems to me some people in journalism have gotten it. Uh, when I think of, as you were speaking, I thought immediately of those who thought, okay, well, they're not going to win the lottery. They're not going to start up your paper idea. Um, one better way to do it is just star as themselves. Uh, this is Wolf Blitzer reporting from the streets beneath Avengers Tower. This is Anderson Cooper seeing the Guardians of the Galaxy take over the planet. I, they've made themselves personalities in a way. And with all the information overload, it gets to be really hard, especially when you have these figures confusing the public as to who are they and what are they about? Are they serious men or are they role players? Well, and you also don't know what, 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 I mean, yeah, they're journalists because they're employed by CNN, but what have they done? I mean, you know, where, where can I see some of your reporting? I mean, I guess, I guess, um, Anderson Cooper used to go to, to, um, to, you know, to Haiti and places like that. He used to chase around, um, disasters, but that's exactly the kind of reporting I was talking about that I thought took journalism off the rails. It's chasing headline news so you can put your personality out there people aren't not not following the news anymore they're tuning into their favorite personality it's either tucker or anderson you know um again that's public taste um and it's also public taste being catered to by the media itself so who's you know it's a chicken egg thing who's who's right and who's wrong i don't know but this is we got a on. handful of minutes i'm gonna let your colleague in the professional of journalism say a few words just she was quoted this is maria ressa who faces jail time in the philippines and possibly death by tutuarte 
Um, she's quoted as saying, quote, without facts, you can't have truth. Without truth, you can't have trust. Without trust, we have no shared reality, no democracy, and it becomes impossible to deal with our world's existential problems. She goes on to say more, but that's, that's very heavy words. Bruce, this is all very kind of um, dim. <laughs> it's not really bright news, uh, no pun intended. Let's, let's use the last few minutes and, 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 and try to shift to something a little bit more bright. You wrote a novel, Maka'ai Stinkai, about Hawaii, which you love, about the Aina. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time there. Um, did when I was a kid uh, with my parents, and then and then later Fair on being, life. Fair being, you spent a lot in, of time in, there. on the islands. In the islands, first, but mostly on Oahu, first of all, and then and then primarily on the island of Kauai, the North Shore. And um, uh, I was on the North Shore just days before the floods hit. That you know, that just took out pretty much all of from Hanalei over over to uh, the Napali coast. And and having been there so recently, but also just having seen the scenes of, of places I love and, and knowing the people uh, I, I know and I very, very like, very much like their lives have been swamped by that. I, I don't know, it's, it, it moved me obviously per, in a personal way, but also set something off in my head that and I, and I would compare it to a, a an inverse big, uh, big boom. Um, it just a bunch of stuff that had been floating in my mind for for years just came together: childhood recollections, anecdotes, my readings of history, you know, my knowledge such as it is of Hawaiian culture and language, what have you, and it just came together. And I just saw this story, and I said, oh, I know what I want to do. And the story is somebody who uh, loves Hawaii and, and has his entire life, and who managed just to get the money together to move there to buy a house and to uh, fulfill his dream and, and integrate as much as he can into the local life and that sets up the central dilemma of what becomes you know in, in the end an existential challenge for him and that is an old uh, kanaka uh, maoli man turns up on his lawn and says right after the 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 the, the coup the overthrow that, that took away hawaii's independence uh, a plantation owner stole this land from my family, and I'm asking you to do something that U.S. courts have refused to do since, give the land back. I know you're an honorable man. I know you understand Hawaii's history. Give the land back. And my um, protagonist, who is um, who's uh, earnest, earnest to, a, to, a, to a painfully earnest, and as I, as I say... Uh, don't makes, don't makes, give the whole story away, Bruce. You want to hand I won't, I won't, but, but he's, 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 uh, he's earnest uh, to, to the point of... of, of yeah, as I say, it's kind of left of Bernie in his political dealings, including um, uh, supporting uh, the Hawaiian independence movement. He's put in front of this dilemma, which is, I know what's right, but what can I do if that means my own ruin? And he spends the novel grappling with that question. You know, he has come to an island knowing what he feels the historical crimes have been, and he's been put in a unique, unique position of being able to, uh, to, to rectify a single crime and forever put it right as he wishes would happen for the entire nation. And he has, he, 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 he balks. So that's basically the whole, the whole story. And I, and I just did it, as I said, because, uh, you know, I, I, I really love the place. And, um, and I know that the independence movement uh, is, 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 is one of uh, a question of, of, of large debate. And even if for people who don't support independence, uh, the question of, of, of the way Hawaiians uh, statehood was lost um, is a, I think a historical crime that has yet to be to be to be um, to be answered. 
Well, your love of the islands is evident and your description of its beauty and all of its um, ah, just allure and its seduction. I, I was seduced. It, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's, it's fantastic reading. So I highly recommend it. Bruce, we have to wrap. Um, let, let me have you say a couple words and, uh, and then I'll make some closing statements. Um, you know, I just, uh, all I can say uh, about the news business, I know people probably watching are, 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 are interested in news. Um, nothing is irreversible. I don't think we'll ever go back to the time when, you know, it, reporters had ink, ink stained fingers and, and, uh, and, uh, and were anonymously, uh, you know, sleuthing the truth or what they consider the truth. Um, but, but um, it, is, it is worth repeating something that, that Daniel Moynihan, the senator, used to say, and that is we're all in, we're, we're, everybody's entitled to our own opinion. We're not entitled to our own facts. And let's all try to pursue the, the world and our, and our interpretation of the news with that, with that constant in mind. Thank you, Bruce. I thank you once again for, for joining me today. You have a birthday coming up, fast approaching. So, yeah. I mean, wish you a very merry one of that. I'll wait to start sobbing before, before we go off camera. <laughs> uh, I also want to take a moment uh, as we wind down for uh, the season on this show and express my heartfelt thanks to Haley Akita and Eric Kalanda. Uh, without whom uh, none of these shows that uh, I've done would have been possible. Uh, as well as acknowledge Jay Fidel, Carol Mon, and the others at Think Tech Hawaii and the donors who built and support this platform. Um, lastly, I want to express my gratitude to my mentor and friend, Mark Schlaub. These past months have been an adventure, and I have you to thank Mark. Viewers, thank you for tuning in. I want to take a moment and express appreciation for your support, too. I wish you a happy holidays, good health, good cheer, and good news for God's sake. Good news of good times with your loved ones. Stay safe. Until next time, from my home to yours, from me and my family, from me and Bruce, to you and yours, mahalo and aloha. <laughs>